Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get up my lawn cast, coming off a short hiatus. This yes. podcast features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons staring down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. Do not confuse us with any other podcast called I Don't Get Ugh. It, because they are myriad. They are legion. This is the only one you wait, need. Wait, wait, wait. We're, we're in early discussions with our team of lawyers and our secretaries and our, our PR squad about, uh, do we want to change the name? Or sue, or sue them. What's it, whatever's easier. Or sue them. Sue, sue them. Sue, sue them. them. Is it possible yeah. to sue them? <laughs> it's impossible to sue them for, puni- for punitive damages. You know the joke, fellow 90s nerds. I right. am your co-host, Bill Scurry of America's Caesar Enterprises, uh, which, of course, is an apothecary, which specializes only in expired antacids, a topic <laughs> near and dear to Noah Tarno. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joined, as always, by this man who's giggling uproariously on the other I, side I, of the I love the word apothecary. It's such a... It's both it's both like funny and cutesy and uh, it's just you don't use it unless you're making a joke these yeah. days. Sounds like so. a man who's like titrating uh, zinc into mercury. Exactly, or... and he somehow he, he has soda as well. You know, it's like they used to sell drinking the phosphate down at the pharmacy. Like what? You're going to the pharmacy for milkshakes? Phosphate. I know ph- phosphate. What was a phosphate? I phosphate don't even know. Was like, it was like like ice cream soda or something. Yeah. It's just a really stupid name for it. Back in the twi- back in the twenties, when you're sitting at the pharmacy reading reading F. Scott Fitzgerald in Collier's magazine. Uh, all right, I am Noah Tarno. I am the founder and the senior quizmaster of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. It's good to be back with you again, William. Uh, we took what two weeks off. Yeah, they're they're uh, about I, yeah, two, I mean, we we were yeah. gone for longer between the two we of us, but gone. we only, we only missed yeah. two episodes. Yeah, yeah, but we're back in our uh, respective hometowns. You are in Amsterdam. I am in San Francisco. The magic of the internet bringing us together. But you were in the uh, Caribbean, the American Caribbean, and uh, the Caribbean, I, and I was in the Baltic, the Baltic region, the Baltics, Lithuania of all places. Strangely, look, enough. look at us, globe trotters, both. Next, next uh, one of these, we'll be doing it from uh, Izmir, Turkey. We'll both be together. Yes. No, no. You'll be in Izmir, Turkey. I will be in Little America, Antarctica. Which uh, <laughs> I was reading about that the other day. The little, uh, the American kind of base, and they said life there fucking sucks. You you never get uh, you rarely bathe, so everyone's dirty and sweaty all the time. There's like. 500 people live there and there's like four bars. You just drink all the time. There are just buckets of condoms everywhere. There's nothing to do, so people just fuck each other constantly. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're there for the good of science, but it ain't fun, apparently. So you're telling me I'm going to have to ask you to like turn off the uh, heater of that giant snow cat you're in just to get some yeah, clean exactly. sound for the audio? Just to get clean sound. Sure Could the you pull, great pull over to the side of the ice shelf so I don't hear the, t- the, right. the, the, the treads exactly. crunching onto ice? I'm sorry, the penguin shit has got into my keyboard. I can't send you an I in. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so on this show, we talk about stuff that's happening, that's hot, that's hip, that's new. I wonder how much our topic today is more aimed at people our age than the youngins. I, I, uh, could, but I, could, I think I could, it covers yeah. both, both terrains. So tell us what it is. Billy? We are discussing Mark Sandman, the lead singer of. Uh, oh wait, no, Morphine. Yeah, Morphine. That, no. I love that. that. Was a great band. They were good. Morphine. 
You know, he died on stage. He had a heart attack on stage. I knew he. Yes, I think I did know that. Oh my god! He was only, I think, in his early forties when he died too. Oh. That uh, that sa- uh, that smoky saxophone lounge yeah, sound. Great was... band, Morphine, Candy. Look up the song Candy. Candy that's the one Morphine. I. That's Crazy. the one I heard. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she says she wants me with her down. Yeah. No, great we're band. we are not talking about Mark Sandman. We are talking about the Sandman, which is a Netflix. The Man of Sand. The Man of Sand, not to be confused with the Man of Steel. Uh, this is a Netflix series uh, currently running, which adapts the Neil Gaiman-created DC comic, which ran from 1989 to 96. Perhaps you've heard of it. Gaiman himself is a producer on this, shepherding it to a seemingly seemingly inevitable home at Netflix in the form of a uh, partially Netflix, partially Warner Brothers co-pro, as they call it in the business. Um, the other creative principals on this are comic genre regulars Alan Heinberg, who I believe started in the OC, and he had a bunch of other things, but he also has been writing comics he for... did. That's yeah. right. He wrote the OC. He might have been one of the creators of the OC. I forget. Something like that. And then I used to, I used to read when he wrote Young Avengers. That's great. It was great. Yeah, he was I remember really good. That. He nailed it. Yeah. A lot of guys can't... A lot of guys have trouble na- nailing the comic fiction form, but... Uh, a a lot of it. guys have a lot of trouble with youth and the Avengers, but he put them both together. Somehow he managed to make it work. work. Yeah. yeah the, the other guy yeah. is Goyer, David Goyer, who was... David uh, he wasn't... He, he was on uh, Batman Begins. He was the co-writer or the writer the credited writer on batman begins i believe yeah with, uh, with... and then he wrote he wrote the blade movies didn't he yeah yeah um he might have even directed the blade movies or blade one or something and he was, then that, he was that thing he bat- then he was a comic writer he was james robinson's co-writer he was yeah and that's right? the thing yeah goyer has deep roots in comic and genre stuff he's been he's an ex- experienced movie hand experienced comic guy like these are the guys that you do want on a show um, I, guys, of course. I mean, there there are there's a female staff writer. It's not just a bunch of white dudes, but I'm I'm, I'm saying Alan Heinberg is queer for whatever that matters too. He's not just uh, this isn't just a, a, a monochromatic uh, staff room. Anyway, I had heard once, and maybe this is complete bullshit, that David Goyer and James Robinson were a couple. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's anything's possible. Wikipedia okay. says David Goyer's spouse is Marina Black. So I guess it means. Doesn't mean they were no. never a couple, but no, you know, yeah. whatever. So, but of course, people are mean about these things. Uh, Eleven episodes of Sandman have dropped. It was ten, but there was a surprise, uh, a surprise bonus. So they have dropped. It started on August five, uh, with great expectations from the fans. Uh, and the series has been generally received with a warm embrace. Uh, a lot, a lot of glowing write ups. You know, the t- people are. You know, talking about it on social media, doing a lot of chatting and that sort of thing. And my guess is this is the first time a lot of fans have been aware, even though it is a legendary comic for our generation, it has been mostly without a presence since 1996, with the exception. It, it, it was in development hell for a long time. Oh, well, yeah, we can talk, yeah. about, we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt was attached to it to play Morpheus. And, you know, this, this, that, and the other thing, you know. I mean, in some ways, you know, development hell could be a boondoggle or it could be a blessing depending on, like, what the final product is. It saves some things from disaster and, you know, it sometimes it rightfully kills other things which shouldn't exist in terms of adaptations. Um, but here, it's worth discussing the through line uh, just because this I was trying to explain this to my friend Matthias and he's like, wait, so what's his powers? And I'm like, I really wasn't, I wasn't really getting his powers. Through. Yeah, what is his powers? Yeah. So he can shoot laser beams from his eyes. I bet he could if he went in a dream. Anything's possible. So the actor, British actor Tom Sturridge, who I don't really know him. I know he's been in a bunch of things, but I'm not really familiar with his work. Um, He's a very lean, uh, 36-year-old fighting machine. This man. He plays the titular character, who's more properly known as Dream, uh, a member of a supernatural family called the Endless. 
uh, as befits someone called Dream, he's the king of dreams and nightmares. Uh, and specifically, his siblings uh, rule over other aspects of mortal life. This is one of those more random things, by the way. His siblings were, for instance, death, desire, destruction, delirium. D- There's other D words. I think I'm missing one or two. Despair. Despair. So, so oldest Tion gets his destiny, death, dream, despair, and desire are twins. And the youngest was delight, but at some point she became delirium. You missed destruction, the guy with the destruction. Dog. Destruction yeah. is between dream and the twins. Yes. Yeah. So dream has been imprisoned. And this is the the spring off of the show. Dream was imprisoned by a human magician and magus. Uh, for by and of course by the time the comic ran, uh, some of these are straight adaptations. The comic had him in there for I believe seventy years, seventy years, yeah. And the show has it an even century. He's been trapped uh, in a globe inside of a uh, sort of a holding ring. And uh, the series begins with his escape from captivity and the reclaiming of some sacred objects, which would return his power and his office as the King of Dreams. Um, this is based on the first ten issues of the comic, rather faithfully, I might say. So um, off mic, I had asked Noah because everybody who is familiar with this podcast knows that me and him both have read, do read, will read, am reading right now comics, uh, but our tastes vary wildly. And uh, I, he told me something surprising because I didn't think this was in his taste range. But, but Noah, please tell us about your experience with this brand and what you, yeah. had, what you had looking forward to it. So I've read the entire Sandman series more than once, uh, especially the early issues. I, I, so, so this season, season one, and... There's no season two yet, but who knows? Uh, adapts basically the first 10 issues plus, because the, the Hob Gadling issue is issue 14, I believe. Uh, so I've read some of the issues that these episodes are based on many, many, many times. And I'm a fan. I read this in college, you know, basically loaned to me by a girl I had a crush on, even though it, you're right, it doesn't seem like it's my thing. But I love it. I, I love the comic. So I was eager to see this because I'm always eager to see adaptations of stuff I like. I, I welcome that, even though I'm usually disappointed. Um, I enjoy this very much. You're right. It's very faithful. Um, and it's very entertaining. I think it does a good job of mimicking uh, the, the not mimicking, but bringing out the unbridled creativity. I mean, Gaiman just had ideas that where the fuck did they come from? And they were so fresh and they were so new and they were so exciting and he was... I mean, he's such a great writer in those issues. I mean, I'm not really a fan of really any of his other work. American Gods, a novel he wrote that was a big hit. I couldn't make it through. Uh, But I just think, you know, if he had only written Sandman, he'd be such an impressively creative writer. Uh, The weirdness of the story, I think, really comes through. It doesn't get in the way of any of Gaiman's ideas, the adaptation, for the most part. And I'll tell you, uh, starting it, I was really down on Tom Sturridge as Dream. Dream, a.k.a. Morpheus. I thought, you know, in the comic, he's this almost ghostly looking figure. His, his skin is chalk white. And they don't, they make Sturridge pale. But he just, at first, I'm like, what is this? This guy just looks like like some douchebag British guy in 1996. But over the 11 episodes, and I watched them all, Sturridge really grew on me as Dream. So, you know, I think that works. I get it why they didn't make his skin chalk white. Uh, but the adaptation doesn't quite reach liftoff for me. And I am going to nitpick, but there are problems. And and look, I, I don't know if I'd have these problems if I went into this fresh, if I hadn't read the comic. And frankly, I, I, they say, Gaiman said he made it so that you don't have to be a fan of the comic to enjoy it. And maybe that's true. I, I can't speak to that personally. I don't think I, you would have touched this if comic. you hadn't read the comic. Uh, I, you know, I mean, it's hot enough. We might have approached it for this podcast. 
I probably wouldn't have been as into it. I don't think I would have finished it. Uh, and I nitpick like the, So there's a there's an half of an episode is a very straight adaptation of a story of dream. You know, dream is one of the endless lives forever. And there's this subplot running through the whole series and one issue early on that focuses on it. He befriends a mortal man and the mortal man, the dream sister death is given a dispensation. He's never going to die. So every 100 years, Dream and this man, Hobgadling, meet at this pub in London. And you see every 100 years their relationship. And you check in. On, and you see Gadling later in the series here and there. And I, I'm fascinated by him as a character. Absolutely fascinated. Uh, I, it's the issue with the Hobgadling story of the comic might be my favorite single comic book it, issue. It is ever. one of the it is one of the most outstanding ever. single single ever. comic book the issues art, of all yeah, time. Yeah, and the arts by Michael Zuli, I believe. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I nitpick over little things with that adaptation. I, I thought it was, I, I would, I ate it up with a spoon, but still like, yeah, they shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that. Uh, but bigger than that, I think the series does have some problems. Uh, I think there's some really bad acting. I think some of the actors are very good. I think some of the actors are terrible, really, really bad. I think, um, I mean, this just stands out as the worst. The woman who plays Lyda Hall is like abominable terrible who's the other actor that really annoyed the hell out of me uh jenna well, coleman thought, bothered me oh is she joanna constantine yeah yeah she wasn't great uh the the surprise episode they dropped calliope the woman they had playing calliope i thought was bad uh i'm sure there's a man who was terrible too or just the women are coming to mind um i think the biggest problem is and we talked about this before we were recording these stories were made for comics, and they were perfectly attuned to their genre. Not their genre, to their to their medium, right? And when you adapt it in film, it might be, or TV, it might be impossible to really mimic what made them so great. There is a weirdness, a true element of, of disturbance. I mean, these comics are disturbing in some ways, horrifying. The, the issue where Dr. Destiny, who's this guy who, who gets a hold of a totem that belongs to Dream and he can manipulate people's dreams, he's in a diner and he basically manipulates the people in the diner and it, they end up all dying in horrible ways. Sorry, spoiler alert. It's just not nearly as disturbing when adapted. The convention for serial killers comes off as just another semi-horror TV show and not... I mean, these comics burrowed into your soul and stick with you and scare you and appropriately are the stuff of nightmares. And some of that is the art. The Calliope story, I thought that adaptation really failed. And part of it is because the art was by this great artist named Kelly Jones, who had this exaggerated, weird style. He would draw covers for Batman comics for years, where Batman's cape was like 50 feet long. And as ridiculous as that sound, his, his ears were like two feet high. And as ridiculous as that sounds, Jones made it work in kind of a gothic horror element. And you just, when you adapt it with human beings, you just can't mimic that weirdness. And also some of it might be on purpose. They're making a little Harry Potter-esque some of it, which I don't appreciate. Um, but those are nitpicks. And frankly, you know, I'm always willing to, to discard my nitpicks, especially when they're about something I'm close to already, because that's just me. And that gets at something you didn't mention, is Gaiman has been very open about this. He's answering people's questions on Twitter all the time. And there's a quote that's been passed around a lot. He is very dismissive 
of, of like people are upset that death who we only see in one episode but will come back you know dream sister death in the comic she also has chalk white skin but she you know is drawn as a caucasian woman well here she's played by uh, a black woman a british black woman and i think she does a good job i think she's actually one of the great actors in this uh, but of course, you know, neckbeards and, and basement dwellers and MAGA heads are, are upset about this. And, oh, well, we pictured her as this. Why do you have to change everything? And Gaiman's quote, which has been passed around a lot to people who say, I'm a real fan, you're not a real fan, etc. He says, quote, nobody gets to gatekeep Sandman. Not as a comic, not in the Audible adaptation, and definitely not on TV. There is no entrance exam, nor should there be. Everyone is welcome. And that's the point, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick at this with my little annoyances that like, oh, they didn't do my favorite comic the way I want them to do it. But whatever, you know, they did a perfectly acceptable job. So, are there things I think should be better? Sure. Am I entertained? Yes. Am I gonna keep watching? Absolutely. So thumbs up. Uh, it's interesting. I feel like you hit my notes almost perfectly because, you know... The, that's that's what I do, man. That's yeah, what you, I do. You look at my Google Doc before we start doing the All show. Right. Just swipe my points. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, the weirdness is something that I knew... Um, I mean, it's so specific to the, the comic book medium. Like you said, it's almost impossible to pull out that weirdness and have it uh, live, uh, you know, and keep its heart beating as a transplant from one medium to the other. Um and yeah, you know, there's just something about it being such a comic book centric thing, uh, defying adaptation, and the adaptation is going to sort of stumble a little bit. And the question is, how does that adaptation, you know, do you vibe with it or not? And and it's like I I, it's, I got uh, I had a very busy week only because I was traveling, and I only got a chance to watch five of the eleven. I got it to five. Ah. No, but you know what? The thing is, it's like, I, it, by the time I got to the end of five, I was like really dragging because I'm like, okay, I know how this works. Yes, I wanted to see. I saw the sequence uh, with Death because that was released. It's a, um, a teaser. That scene where he she goes to the guy, the old guy playing the violin or whatever, and she's like, I guess I'm yeah. dead now. And yeah, he goes, what happens now? It's like, well, that was a nice sequence. And I, I, I'll go back and I'll watch the Hob Gabbling episode because that's, you know, again, one of a kind piece of comic book fiction. That is one of the standalone issues of all time, for sure. But the five episodes that I watched, and again, I read... Uh, uh, all the I read these comic books too, so I had an inkling of what was coming. Um, it, it it not it's not just that it the, it defies under the best of terms and the best of times an easy translation successfully. I think you even start further behind the eight ball when you're talking about a show coming to Netflix in particular, and the mode of creation for Netflix. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, one of the things I got quickly fatigued by was seeing how they were boiling down this incredibly dense comic book which had so much so many jagged storytelling edges it was again a combination of different artists and a guy who just didn't follow rules anymore because he knew all the rules but he broke them and he was able to be a, an insua generous type of creator because there was no oversight you know he just was making the stuff that's great. I mean, not everybody could do that all the time, and not all TV shows can do that all the time either. But the the absolute antidote to what Neil Gaiman was doing as a storyteller is what Netflix makes its bread and butter doing, which is to come up mm. with the most algorithmically driven, um, gigantic blob of ten things dropped on your head that you're going to forget. <laughs> you're going to forget about in two weeks. Now, each episode of this show is an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot that cross cut back and forth between each other. So a lot of these episodes 
are two characters talking in a room and you cross cut with two other characters talking in a car and you cross cut with two other characters talking on a, <laughs> on a CGI on a CGI plane something that looks like yeah. a a, wist, a wistful smoke filled uh, seashore that is clearly all done on a green screen you know and it's like one is supposed to represent a place on earth one is supposed to represent sandman's dark domain of the dream and some is just two other characters and that, I started to get offended, you know, and I know that Gaiman made this show himself. He oversaw it. And I, and I get that Gaiman is also in his 60s and, you know, he's not the fighter he once was. And I'm sure he's just happy to have it made in some faithful form. But I started to get offended by saying, Jesus, you know, like every single script for this was filled with no nuance. Everybody walked onto screen and announced everything they had to, you know, the exposition factories left and right, especially Sturridge. As Sandman yeah. was asked to exposit so much, so much stuff that you know, in the comic book, he's an enigma. Like you said, you really don't know anything about him, other than the fact that he's a mopey Susie Sue slash Robert Smith analog. You don't really know anything about him, uh, you know, other than the very emo probability that he listened to Tori Amos or was in fact an avatar of all the Tori Amos fans. Uh, but you don't get a chance to do that here because everything has to be explicated and put into a 58-minute box for Netflix, yeah. which specializes yeah. in this kind of entertainment. Yeah. So it, I, feels, I, it feels a little constrained. Yeah. I, I had yeah. the exact... Yeah, th this was... In, in, in some ways, this was the worst place to put it just simply because of how Netflix has a very heavy hand in building all of its entertainment. And, you know, not that everything that everything Netflix does hasn't been terrible because there's been some fantastic TV shows, but I would say in the main... Um, they have, this, especially now with the bottom falling out and them firing people and, and worrying about their bottom line and whatever net, whatever the future of Netflix is going to be in the next couple of years, um, they are, you know, tighter than ever with the, the way they guide these shows. And, you know, this might be the nicest version. This may be the most faithful version, but it is slavishly obedient to the comic book page, which is always difficult. Mm. And, and it doesn't have... The ability to visually do for TV and motion picture what the comic book right. was able to do. It, right. And I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna close on this. And I thought the perfect example of this, one of the most chilling comic book panels I've ever seen in my life, was when the Corinthian takes off his sunglasses and it's a close-up shot and you see the chattering teeth in his eye sockets. Yes. And you don't yes, know this 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 nightmare who's come to Earth and becomes yeah. a serial killer wears sunglasses all the time it's because his eyes are like sharp pointed but but there's teeth. there's whole issues of the comic go by where you get the idea that this guy's bad news man and it isn't until yeah. later on it's like the clothes he takes off the glasses and you see these teeth and it's simply a visual you've never seen before it is incredibly yeah. arresting it's and it, so disturbing it is and it's but, a concept like it never would occurred correct. to you before and the and the yeah. choice of the artist is to do it in a very almost an extreme yeah. close-up where his the, the yeah. corinthians face was a bridge and it's like and yet when boyd holbrook takes off the glasses it's in a medium shot or he's walking yeah. towards the he, camera yeah. Yeah, you don't get a good enough. You look You don't at those get a good teams. enough look That's at it, right. and it's like that. And that, he's a very good actor. He, I, I want to praise his performance. Uh, I think he's a bum. You don't think that, so? I, I, I never liked right. him. I never liked that thing. But it's like that's the kind of thing where this show is going to fall on its face. And I mean, again, if you're going to be slavish to the page, it's like at least try to emulate the thing the page does well, rather than just the themes and stuff like that. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. I feel like this is a big hit. I feel like everyone's talking about it. Maybe that's just the bubble I'm in. You told me that from your sources, it might not be a big enough hit. It might not even make it to a second season, which I would find shocking. But, you know, it's at least enough that people are talking about it. So why? Why is this? Or, or, or let's, let's dig back. Why was, you know, why was the comic 
such a cult hit? And why did it, you know, why did people work so hard to get it to the screen to the point where they finally did it 30 years after they were first talking about it? Let me put a caveat on the prediction of a season two. Uh, it, it, is, it is likely they'll get a season two, but the thing is the cost of the series was so unwieldy in a way that Netflix is not interested in spending this much money for this kind of result. Where it's not, you know, a Stranger Things type, you know, pan gloss thing that was just owning the world with with Kate Bush and Journey songs for a while. This is not going to be that, but they're spending that kind of money to get it. So I suspect if you see, uh, if this comes back for a season two, the budget is going to be severely diminished from what this was. They really? Just, they just can't. Yeah. And you're going to see it. And it's gonna, oh, you're going to pay for it. It's um, gonna look so bad. It's gonna look. It's gonna look. I'm, I'm just picturing like a puppet show of, of punch Sandman. a punch and Judy fun. show. Yeah. That's yeah. It. They should do it as a puppet show. I, you know what? If that's gonna be the new. That's gonna be the new hot thing. Puppet shows. Puppet shows on TV. I would take that's it. gonna be a new hot thing. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, Sandman is expensive, high gloss Netflix TVing. Is that a word? TVing? Because it is that. It's no, definitely TV. No, it is not. What, what uh, do you mean by that? No, it's I'm saying. It's like as far as making televisual programming the Netflix way, this it, this slots in with the stuff that they do that oh, people I love see. to see. Yeah. So, so what Netflix does is TVing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, side note. You know what annoys me? When people say, oh, I spent the night watching Netflix. That like Netflix is a medium. It's not a show. It's like saying I ate microwave. Like... <laughs> I just don't like that. I spent the night watching Netflix. No, you watched Sandman on Netflix. You wouldn't say I spent the night watching NBC. Like, how did this? Anyway, go ahead. Well, how about this? You, still, you, you got you know, the, the Netflixness of it, and I would guarantee you that a lot of the kids who are watching this, and I say kids is anywhere from between tweens and early 20s, maybe, you know, college age. A lot of them definitely, look, I know younger people who found Sandman. People find their way to Sandman. It's evergreen. It's always in print. If you're the yeah. kind of person who's going to read it, then you're the kind of person who's going to read it. And you have read yeah. it. And this, you know, look, I'm, I guarantee you their backlist is getting a big drive right now. You know, that I, I would Am- hope so. Amazon is probably shipping a lot of copies. People are going to, you know, Comixology on the app and getting a lot. Yes. So, you know, it, it's an adaptation of a huge property, a cult property that's been beloved since 89, produced by, and this is produced by its creator. Um, CGI for the moment is as cheap as it can be because the abhorrent labor practices in the film industry. Um, there are <laughs> uh, there are ample venues for IP, for translated IP. And again, everybody has these these freaking, these big thresher machines that are going through fields, chopping up every book series, every comic book series, every manga series into a possible adaptation. So, you know, the time is right. You know, uh, oh, and, yeah. and here's the other thing. I, I, I know I said this before, we've both been saying this, but this is, it's still a comic book adaptation. It's still comic book fiction. I mean, technically, say what you want about the form, about themes, about the style. It is still a comic book adaptation. And I think that is why Netflix bit on it, because they haven't done comic book adaptations since, what, the Marvel comic stuff, the the, the, the Luke Cage. And it's been a while. They haven't been in that really? business. They haven't been in that no. business for a while. Okay. Well, they didn't do The Boys. Oh, you know what? They, they Amazon did, Prime. They did uh, Mark Miller stuff. Mark Miller, they bought Miller World and they came up with Jupiter's, uh, Jupiter's again, a show nobody cared about. It was the Jupiter's Ascending or something like that. Or no, that was, a, that was the... I've, the I've never heard of that. Yeah, anyways. I've literally I, never heard of what that. What I'm saying is that Netflix hasn't done a whole lot. They've developed their IP from inside, but it's like, this is a comic book IP, a, a big one, and they, it landed on them. It land, Warner's owned the distro because it was a Warner, Warner Brothers owns DC Comics, which this came from. So they went into a co-pro with Netflix to get that extra money it's got a lot of stuff it's built up it's a big you know a big a big edifice that they built for this you know and those are all the magic words that that kind of explain why it's popular yeah i mean i think the source material 
I mean, if we're going to draw back to the comic and conflate the TV show with the comic, it is so cult-ready. I remember reading this and going, this shit is perfect for, you know, it, it's it was one of the rare comics at the time, I'm sure, that was read by girls, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's and true. You you said something before we were recording, like, it's for Tori Amos fans, and yup! And, you know, my friend who loaned me all those comics uh, was a huge Tori Amos fan. And one thing I'm hoping for season two for the character Delirium to show up. Delirium was basically just like a girl who loves Tori Amos as a weirdo god. It was kind of funny. Uh, so it's very attuned to a lot of uh, the way a lot of kids are. And I would say even more so now than back then. I mean, it was a real you know, think of some of the trends then. And I think it's more attuned to, in some ways it was ahead of its time because it's more attuned to the way some, some, some um, subclassifications or, or, you know, styles or attitudes that kids have now than then. I mean, desire, uh, dream sibling desire is non-binary. There was a non-binary comic character in 1989 and is, you know, played by a, apparently a non-binary actor in this who, who does damn good job one of the good actors it looks very much like the comic book mold too yeah it's not, not yeah far i off, think that's know? some great cat mason something something is their name uh anyway you know i mean more kids are going to pick up on that so uh i think the show is visually magnificent i think it's a treat for the eyes uh even if it doesn't disturb the way i want it's very visually appealing um and you know i criticize some of it's like harry potter-esque but Maybe that's smart. I mean, I know Harry Potter is 25 years old now or something, but I'm imagining a, a, a kid who grew up mainlining Harry Potter, knew it from their earliest memory, now as an adult would really feel like this is this is Potter taken to the next level. And in fact, season two will most likely adapt a game of you. Is that the one that has Barbie's fantasy life that they, they, they kind of foreshadow in season one, you know, the fantasy world with the talking animals and all that? Uh, and that's so long, I don't remember. Yeah, that feels very Potterite to me. Potterite, how about that? Potteresque, pottery, Potterian, 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 Potternarian. So you know, it's like you're ready to grow up from Harry Potter. I'm, 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 I'm all over the place here. The thing is, I think it has a lot to recommend it. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure if you're not a Sandman fan, I mean, Gaiman has said, uh, a fan of the comic. Gaiman has said, like, we want to make this appealing to people who've never read the comic. There's a lot to love here. Um, and as much as I nitpick it, you know, as a comic fan, I'm all over it. And I'm going to stay all over it. So it does make sense that people would pick up on this. So, I'm dead. Now what? Now can you find out, Harry. Uh, I think we know the answer to this. Would you have liked this as a kid? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you were surprised that I did like the comic as a kid. And I think, uh, you know, if I were new to this now, I think I would pick up on this. Um, but let me add a let me add a proviso to that. Now I'm second guessing myself because, you know, so much of what I liked about the comic is the fact that it was disturbing and that it dug in and it haunted your nightmares. And I guess without the haunting element, maybe it wouldn't appeal to young Noah. So I don't know, Bill. I don't know about this one. What about you? Well, yeah, you know, probably on the strength of the storytelling, the genre storytelling in particular. Again, let's emphasize this is a comic book adaptation, and it, I think it behaves like one, too, whatever that means in, in our, our blighted age. Um, but more in particular, the Netflix thing, for all of the neutering we talked about, for all of the sort of a smoothing over of edges, standardizing, algorithmicing of it, 
um, it takes the adaptation past the more emo slash goth slash twee angles of the source material, which had been a huge barrier of entry to me as a teen. Um, you know, my, my genesis story with Sandman was that I have always been a comic book fiction guy and saw Sandman as a bit of a graduating, um, you know, aspirational comic because it was mature. And I did. I read it for a bunch of years until I realized, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this kind of maturity. It's not for me. <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't just the imagination and the weirdness. That was the stuff that got me. The, 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 you know, strange, uh, jagged, you know, fantasy aspects of it, horror aspects, and there's plenty of that. But there's also a lot of mopey, 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 like Susie and the Banshees type, uh, disaffected English youth from his particular, you know, whatever his version of it that he was porting over from England that he remembered from the 80s, he put a lot of that. And that stuff just just falls like a brick for me. It has it, I, Pale skin, Doc Martin shoes, all that shit doesn't mean a fucking thing. That's just all childish bullshit. And, um, you know, the comic book, I think, was at the beginning at least as fixated on that stylistic stuff as it was the weirdness. And... That's the weird thing is like now because I'm I'm beating the show up a little bit for you know just being a little anodyne in that respect. It's probably if I was 14 years old, 13 years old, it would have been the great way to smuggle this shit into my head rather than going to the comic book first. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Tom and I play Dream. Any thing about the Sandman TV series that augurs the end of the world, the apocalypse? I mean, I guess you know when the endless leave this plane of existence, blah, 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 blah. But um, other than that, any sign of the apocalypse? I don't think I could say that with any reasonable surety. This is the culmination, uh, rather, of a large process going back decades. People have wanted... Can you imagine this happening in 94? I mean, granted, we would have gotten a fully... What do you mean, the TV adaptation? Yeah, yeah. I know, because... Back then, you say it's based on a comic, and you get laughed out of the room. It would have looked like... I mean, like, maybe they would have... Like The Crow. It would have been a shitty movie like The Crow yeah, or yeah, Shaquille yeah, yeah. O'Neal and Steel. You or, know, that's what comic book adaptations Or the, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, you know? It would have been... Or Tank... I Tank, loved that movie! Or Tank Girl, you know? One of those things. Tank Girl was... See, here's the thing. I like a lot of those movies. And maybe it's rose-colored glasses, nostalgia of the age I was in college, but I thought they were fun. Now, no one took them seriously... They were little fun things that kids watch in the movies and, you know, uh, even and Batman movies were just merchandising. Uh, yeah, it would have been sand. You think it's sanded of its edges now it would have been fucking the Sam. You know, he would have been fighting crime under the identity of the Sandman. You know, it would have been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I actually you see a bit of that because in the comic, it's interesting. In the comic, he is never referred to as the Sandman. And uh, but Gaiman has published some of his scripts and in his scripts, he refers to him as the Sandman. And he says, I know I do that. I don't know why. But actually, in, in a, a couple times in the first few episodes, people refer to him as the Sandman. And, like, they're the remnants of it being, like, uh, superheroized yeah. for, for TV. I think just little tiny bits. Well, you, know? so you can't you can't call a, a – you could not call a book dream. Sandman sounds more like a thing. Also, as, oh, I, I don't I don't think that's yeah. – a. I think that makes sense. It's yeah. just like well, also Sandman, calling him the Sandman. Sandman was you know? a – Sandman was You're a, the Sandman. You know, they had uh, – you know, that was a DC comic brand going back to the 30s, right? Yeah. So, yes. Well, yeah. Not an, it's great, not an accident. Great character. Yeah. And they did a crossover story between Sandman Wesley Dodds, who was a character going from the 40s, more a superhero type, member of the Justice Society of America, and Sandman Dream. They did a crossover called Sandman Midnight Theater, I believe, and I think it was 
co-written by Gaiman. Anyway, yeah. So you know. Right. So what do you think yeah. it's a sign of apocalypse? You you do. No, right? not at all. You definitely no, do. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Not at all. No, yeah. not at all. And in fact, I would think Gaiman being out there and saying this is for everyone. Fuck you if you don't like us casting a black woman as death. Uh, you know, there is no gatekeeping here. I think that might be a tonic. I mean, Gaiman is has enough of a reputation, not only since he was a creator, but I mean, I didn't like American Gods, but this is a guy who's gone on to have a very robust career. He's got a he's, he's a, he's a just, pop culture icon. You're absolutely right. right. He's just not some artifact from the nineties. So there's a guy who's got a lot of power in the geek media space. And if he comes out and, you know, unabashedly no two ways about it says fuck you with your gatekeeping this is for everyone everyone is welcome you know that's what we need to tamp down some of this insanity so we need we need more neil gaiman's being that you know unambiguously clear about you know you don't have authority over a fucking you know fantasy story now here we get to see tom sturridge plays morpheus the king of dreams the Prince of Stories. Tom was in the first email we got from casting and we went, oh my gosh, Tom is the best. Tom is magnificent. And then we saw 1,500, 2,000 Morpheuses and there was no one who was Tom. Noah, where does uh, jealousy fall into all of this? Uh, I'm only jealous because, you know, the little bit of me that still wishes I was an actor, I were an actor. Uh, I would have loved to have played Dream. I would have loved to have played the Corinthian. I would have loved to have played Cain and Abel. Uh, and in fact, that first term of college when I was reading all this and, and you know, hankering after the, the girl who loaned me all this, all the comics, uh, actually on Halloween, we dressed up as Dream and Death. And uh, I remember going to the, the, the secondhand, like the store, the Goodwill store, and buying a long black coat and putting white makeup on. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, it's just, I miss, I miss the halcyon days when I could dream, like, haha, I could dream of playing death in a, sorry, of playing dream in a movie or a TV series. So I'm jealous of that, but that's it. Mm -hmm. I wish I, yeah, I wish I had been one of those, um, Sandman comic rider dies, you know, who, who, this is like sticking right between the eyes. Uh, it's hitting them right in their heart and they're waiting for it. You know, generationally, that is the, you know, we, those were, those were us. Those are the people. I mean, those were us. Those were us. You said this thing, the thing about college. It was the perfect, like that is the perfect home to start passing around college dormitories in the year 1993. Like, oh it, it my God. Taylor Mace. I can't think, unless yeah. you were in college in 89, which again, I mean, you probably need to, Sandman would need to grow into a little bit of a brand. Uh, but yeah, that is almost the perfect way to engage with this stuff. Um, you know, and so those fans, you know, there's people out there who this is just really doing it for. And I really appreciate that. You know, but I also thought about this, too. You know, when Sandman came out, it was, you know, we're alluding to it. It was cutting edge. Not just because of its uh, sort of uh, the, the the way in which it handles genre, the way it handled it was synthetic with fantasy and, and, and fiction and comic book stuff and all these different sources, as Gaiman does. But it was cutting edge in terms of being really represent, representational. You know, Sandman was explici yeah. explicitly about gay gay themes. It was explicitly... There were a lot of queer characters. There weren't a yeah. lot of characters of color. There were a lot of queer characters. Yeah. And the TV series recasts a lot of characters who yeah, were yeah. presented as yeah. white as as 
I mean, yeah, you know, and black, that's black mainly. But was, yeah. just just as an aside, I was going to say when I was you know watching this, I realized, oh, anybody who would bitch about the race blind casting is not a Sandman fan. That's not who's going to care about no. that. It's going to be. It's somebody like these else. people who are like, why is Star Wars suddenly talking yeah. about politics? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. keep your politics out of Star Wars. But like, come but on. you know, like again, the thing where it was so representational in a way that you know people glommed onto it because again, there was a uh, there was a trans character in that one storyline. I forget which one it was. The the one with the, uh yeah yeah the, the one with the, the, the next one we're gonna see yeah 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 and it's like a trans character. I, I mean, yeah. that really felt outre. You know, it was just it was just so normalized. It was just like a matter of fact, and it just seems like this is the world this takes place in, where it's filled with queer characters, not a big deal at all. It was very humanizing. You know, and the thing is, it's like, well, it's reassuring that they cast non-binary actors and there's queer actors and there's black people playing it. But it's like the comic book did all those things. Like you don't the comic book's burden in some ways. Neil Gaiman took it upon himself to be this guy who, you know, he's a straight white male from England who grew up in a generation. So he was authoring other people's stories that weren't his own. Nonetheless, he did a pretty good job of like breaking those boundaries in some ways in comic books that hadn't really been broken before. Um, other than North Star getting married in X Men, or you know, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, there was an Incredible Hulk issue where um, yeah, this guy had the guy yeah. had HIV positive. He got stabbed by a supervillain. He was in- uh, yeah, and the Flash is villain. The Pied Piper uh, became a became a good guy. And was gay and was a supporting character in The Flash in the very early 90s. Remember that? So it's like you, you pull That it. might literally be it. Yeah, yeah. You pull- in, super, in mainstream superhero comics. that There there are your non-straight characters. You, you Enjoy. Pull, you pull this comic out of the leading... Uh, the, 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 say the, the, the leading edge. And again, it's none of this stuff can nearly be as shocking today as it was back in 1989, 1990, 1991. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about this. But in a way, it, one of those things made me feel like what is the... What purpose does this serve aside, you know, because it was so woven into the text of the thing were this was this representational issues. It was it was really restorative and reparative. Uh, but so much of TV is like that today. I mean, entire quadrants of media is like that. So that need for the representation, granted, it's always there, but it, it, it's not only Sandman holding it up at a medium. Um, I don't know. It just it occurred to me along the way that it's, you know, it's no longer in the place. But no, let's let's pivot to the Felonian scale. Tell me, where do you think mm-hmm. this lands on our XYZ axis? Okay, so here's what I did. I looked at some, I compared it to some recent topics. I say this is 1.2 times of everything everywhere at once, which, I don't know. There's some ways everything everywhere was better. I mean, it was a better product, but I don't love it as much. Uh, it is 0.08 times of Better Call Saul, and it is 12.7 times of Nepotism Babies. How about that? Yeah. Again, I, I I got my um my calc my 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 what is it called the the calculator with all the the permutations and the functionals that we used to use in chemistry class and I'm typing in type 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 yeah I see boobs if I turn it upside down but I turn it right right, right side right <laughs> shell oil let's see yeah uh, okay how 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 different the world was that we were entertained by that as kids that. Writing that number five. What, what is the number? Five, two eight. eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two, two eight zero zero eight. Or become yes. turn it upside down. It's boobs. It's boobs. <laughs> it was you know that that was like the, that was like we cracked the zodiac letter. You know that's what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like more of a victory at our age. Yeah. You know. Uh, I mean, think about that. Like how entertained we were by just the word boobs. <laughs> it, it just wasn't where you expected it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 
Yeah. It was still you. Were, it was you were freighting it. It was you were freighting it. And it was yeah. naughty. It was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I look. I think this is fine. I'm going to be a lot simpler about this. There's, I just it harkened back to something we just watched in the last few months. Uh, and I'm going to pick a TV show. Look, I don't think this is going to last and become a better call. Better call dream. I wrote better call dream. <laughs> we're not going to remember that. Better call Sandman. <laughs> Uh, Better call dream. This is fine. Oh, this is fine, and it's Netflix stuff. Um, you know, with a capital N, capital S. Uh, I will. I will. I'm happy to be proven wrong. I, if this, if this sort of sustains beyond that and has a test of time, I want that for the stuff. I want it to evolve. I want it to become weird, and I want it to, you know, um, grease the way for more weird shit, especially comic book stuff that you wouldn't think would see the light of day. And this is a very big mouthpiece, a very good bully pulpit to put it in, but. I think that for the way it is today, in terms of the, the noise that it's making at the moment, uh, you know, they're talking about a season two. It really reminded me a lot of Squid Game, you know, where I watched Squid Game mm. and I thought Squid Game wasn't necessarily weird because I saw, but Squid Game came from a non traditional place because there wasn't a lot of Korean melodrama coming out, right. hitting these things. Um, you know, but Squid Game had a lot of weird stuff. And I thought Squid Game became more tra- storytelling wise, it became more traditional as it went along, lost its nihilism a little bit. Um, you know, where where it seemed really in the beginning it was a cold slap of water against the cheek as you're wondering, why are they running away from this giant doll with machine gun eyes? You know, and it's like, and then it was really into the characters and then it became something I recognized a lot more. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think a little bit that's what you got with Sandman. But then again, that's that's the Netflixization of TVing, you know? Right, right. Okay, you bring up Squid Game and that really changes my thinking a little because... Uh, Squid Game actually disturbed me. And that's what's most missing from this. You know? And maybe it's I'm comparing it to the comic, because I know the comic so well. Squid Game wasn't adapted from anything, right? No, it's it's a, original it creation. Some, but I right, mean, other so than like, it was it was such it was it 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 was referential to so much other stuff. Yeah. Well, no, no, but there wasn't a Squid no. Game book. No, no. There wasn't no. a Squid Game board game or something. Okay. So that would be fun. Uh, yeah, Squid Game actually sticks with you in that it's disturbing. And that's what's missing. So now you're making me think I like Sandman less. Yeah, you know. The, it's so hard for me to tell because I'm so close to the source material. The episode, that, where, the episode where, where Dream um, challenges Corazon to get his helm back. And it winds up being yeah. this like strange actor's exercise where they're rese- yes. they're rese- it's like God, yeah. I, ha- I hated that so much. I hated that so much. Oh, uh, but I liked the I liked the visual of all the demons of hell. Yeah, uh, the woman who plays Lucifer. I yeah. think she's very yeah. That's that's good, good casting. That's good casting. Yeah, but, but I like. I, I mean, Christie. it's it's just yeah. I mean, I guess I gotta add an asterisk to everything I've said. I'm close to the source material. I'm gonna keep watching no matter what. But it's you know, it's just. Something missing, something missing. But you know, so be it. You don't get everything you want in life, uh, unless you do. But you know, then again, you, then you'd be a thief. Yeah, those 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 people are lying to themselves. Well, everybody, if you'd like to find what you're missing in life, <laughs> uh, you can find past episodes of this program on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. That's how people find other podcasts, especially when they're called I Don't Get It, which thousands of them are at this point. Ah. Uh. I'm on Twitter at William Scurry. Uh, I am on YouTube. My video content is at youtube.com slash amcaesar. And I recently did a podcast, an episode of my good friend James Hancock's show, Wrong Real. Um, me and my friend Matthias, who's a Dutchman who lives here, we covered a movie 
1988 called Amsterdam, a very great, excellent, schlocky piece of genre entertainment, a, a Dutch giallo movie about a killer who is stalking the canals in scuba diving gear and pulling people off the, off the canal walls and murdering them in various ways. It's a fantastic genre film. Anyway, we did that, a podcast on that. If you never heard of it, if you've heard of it, tune in and listen to it. It's all over uh, my Twitter feed. And here's Noah to plug his stuff. My stuff is the big quiz thing, bigquizthing.com. The very finest in live trivia events for corporate and private parties, virtually and in person, nationwide and beyond. We're booking for the fall. We even started booking for the holidays. So go to bigquizthing.com, check out our new website, take a sample quiz, and learn about how you can make all your trivial dreams come true. Also, you can follow me personally at Noah Tarno. I talk about this and that. Including a lot of politics and uh, lately, yes, yes, big elections coming up. I encourage everyone to get involved. Uh, it could not be more important, in my opinion. And uh, it's time to stand up for our country. So that's all I'm going to say. And if you disagree with me on issues, you probably don't enjoy this podcast. So why am I even addressing this to you? So uh, bigquisting.com or check me out on Twitter at Noah. So until the next uh, sleepy, pasty, black-haired episode of this here podcast, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.